This is your favorite podcaster, Romina, and you just tuned in to RM Podcast FL. Hello, my beautiful people. Welcome back to RM Podcast FL. This is your favorite podcaster, Romina. I hope you guys are having an amazing Tuesday. Or if you're listening to this episode any other day, I hope you're having an amazing day because why not? And I want to thank you for tuning in to RM Podcast FL. Before we do actually jump into today's episode, as you can see from the title, we are going to talk with Jim Cantarucci, Applying New Leadership Norm While Growing Personal Brilliance. This episode, you guys, it has a lot, a lot of amazing material. So I would suggest you to actually pay full attention or re-listen to the episode if you do need to. Go ahead and also purchase Personal Brilliance, Jim's book. It's amazing. I had the pleasure of reading it and I highly suggest it to you guys, especially with 2021 just starting. You can definitely go ahead and add that book to your list. Before we do jump to the juicy interview, I actually want to remind you guys to subscribe to connectwithromina.com. Again, connectwithromina.com and my name is spelled R-O-M-I-N-A. Hopefully you guys know that by now, but again, connectwithromina.com. Go ahead and subscribe there to make sure that you stay up to date with all the new articles that we are publishing, as well as with the online course that we're launching soon, you guys. I'm super excited for you guys to actually get to see the online course and to see a part of my brain really out there. I say all the time, I come from a sales world and I'm very passionate when it comes to sales. So this course, it is perfect for those that are new to the sales world or have been in the sales world for quite some time as it will take you step by step on how to find the hole in your game and be able to improve it. And before the interview, go ahead and give us five star, you guys. Five star on Apple Podcast and a short comment. Tell us that you love us. Tell us how awesome we're doing. Actually, go ahead and put down the number of the episode that you enjoyed most out of every episode. Did you do it? How about now? Oh, you want more material to be convinced that Iron Podcast does deserve a five-star review? Perfect. Not a problem at all. So I don't want to spoil the episode, you guys, because as you can see from the highlights, we touch base on a lot of important topics for organizational change and transition, as well as Jim's 90-10-60-40 equation. I think that's a very interesting and very efficient equation, as well as growing personal brilliance. I don't have anything else to say, but enjoy the episode. Thank you so much, guys, for tuning in to RM Podcast FL. Yes, this is your favorite podcaster, Romina. So first, I want to thank you guys for tuning in and investing your time. And just like I mentioned on the bio, today's guest speaker is a neighbor, I would say. One way or another is Jim Cantarucci, uh, or should I say like this, Jim, like Jim Cantarucci. It helps to use your hand and it's okay, do that, yeah. How are you today? I'm very good, Romina. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm excited for this. Absolutely. Before we start recording, you guys, we start talking about the weather outside too. And whew, Florida is getting a little cold, but Jim is like, you know, Romina, like pretty much shut up. Like it's like on the low 20s where I'm at. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Well, Jim, I want to pass on the mic to you first. Tell us uh, a little bit about your career. How did you go about, you know, being where you're at right now? Let the audience know you a little bit better. Sure. Uh, well, what we do is help large organizations lead large organizational change. 
So that's really the basis and the, the foundation for everything that I do in my career. Now, how did that come about? That to me, I found over the years has been interesting. My first job when I was still in college at 17 years old, worked full-time and went to school full-time. My first job was at a company that did 38 acquisitions while I was there. And I was the person who went out to the newly acquired organization and brought them into the fold. And so that was large change leadership, right? And I was just a young punk. I didn't know any better. I thought everybody's job was like mine. I thought that was normal to do that kind of work. And then my second job was a second employee in a small consulting firm. And we worked with very large banks and we helped them implement a big computer system that actually ran everything, right? And so again, large organizational change. And I, I didn't know any better. I was too naive to know that this was a skill, that this was a unique specialty, that not everybody did this at work. I really thought all my friends did the same thing. I didn't know any better. And then that second job, you know, being a second employee, I caught that bug. I knew from that moment I would never have a real job again, you know, and I would have to do something on my own. I, I got that entrepreneurial sense from that. And so as that naivete started to wear off and I realized that not everybody knows how to do this, then that thing I was going to do on my own was to teach this skill, write about it, speak about it, train people about it, model the behavior so that we do it well. Now, leading organizational change, I call it change leadership. A lot of people refer to this as change management. I use the term change leadership exclusively because it really encompasses all of the skills and capabilities that you need as a leader to lead change well. And since change is happening all the time, obviously, leadership becomes part of the of the puzzle and you need all of those skills i i don't believe we can manage change i think we actually though can lead through it and that's really the key to being successful at doing that so that's the foundation for for what i do i know you're familiar with my book personal brilliance i added innovation to the equation if you think about it oftentimes i was leading change that was the result of some kind of innovation that the company was integ integrating in or, or uh, introducing. And so the innovation equation was very important. And I took a little bit of a different slant on that. I, I wanted to look at how an individual can be innovative, hence the title personal brilliance. And so uh, with those two things coming together, I, I work with leaders on basic leadership, not, not in any particular category, but it tends to gravitate towards the actual leadership of change. Something is happening within the organization. And how do you do that well? My goal is so that we don't go to work in a Dilbert cartoon. And that happens so often as a result of leading change poorly. So we want to do that better. We want to enhance the skill and be really good at it. It makes a difference for the thousands of people that are coming to work on any given Monday morning that we lead change well. It does everything with all the buzzwords around engagement, et cetera. And we really can damage those things if we don't do it well. So that's my life's passion and what I do. Kind of grew up with it. I didn't know any better that that was a thing. And then I made it my life's work. Nice. Well, you've been doing this for years and you've been, you've seen like corporates and businesses kind of, you know, lead through change and make those transitions throughout the time. What did you say is like the biggest like external environmental factor that kind of messes up the corporate sometimes? Because I know you did touch base on innovation, but is there one or two other factors, ex external factors that you can be like, this always kind of like 
twists things around or kind of like leaves people, you know, like, a, ooh, like a little scary at first. You mean around a change being introduced or? Mm -hmm. One of the key things is, let's see, how could we best describe it? The concept of expediency mm. and wanting to do things quickly, wanting to do things fast. The testosterone-based planning that happens often, you know? We have to get it done by the end of October. Why? You know, and, and we forget about things like the quality of it and is it the right way to do it and so on. But we want to get it done so we can move on to the next thing. The problem with that is we cut corners then and we eliminate things like you know quality and cost the tripod right and and then time because we're, we're after time and we think we won if we made it by october 31st right and we fire people if we don't and so those people then tend to cut corners and where do we cut corners we cut corners on things that then allow us to adopt the change properly and integrate it into our being as workers, right? As we're in, in the company. And so what happens is if you think about change, I, I see it as critical because it's tied to the strategy of the organization. So we go to a strategic retreat, we write all over the wall and we determine that this is something that we want to do. We create strategic objectives. Out of those strategic objectives come change initiatives right? The things that I help you work on. And then it's layered, right? So if I accomplish step one, then we are able to do step two and we can move our strategy forward. What tends to happen is we get so focused on getting things done and moving to the next step. But if we don't adopt that first change initiative and integrate it into our being, we aren't set up then to do the second one. What that means is we're actually not achieving our strategic goals. We think we do, we're busy, right? We we're have a lot productive. of activity. We're not necessarily productive. People are throwing telephones at each other in the office because they're so upset. It, the Dilbert cartoon, right? It comes back to, into play. And what the bottom line of that is, we're not reaching our strategic objectives. So those executives that went off to the retreat and wrote all over the wall, they're wondering why things aren't happening why things aren't getting done why are we losing in the marketplace and this is a core reason for that so this is crucial business function we think of it as some niche specialty but leading change is what leaders do every single day and the impact is on every single employee every single day and those employees then talking to your customers so the impact is on your customer and your marketplace so being good at this being great at this is to me a, a crucial skill in business that we we have to master and and it's like golf right we we're never going to be perfect at it but we keep swinging at the keep ball trying. we keep trying and and that's really what it's about so we're trying to get better at this all of the time and th those are the things that i bring to my clients helping them make this a core competency of what they do so that we actually do meet those strategic objectives. That's really why we're here. And we tend to forget that in the busyness and the craziness and the, you know, the, the goals and targets and all of that nonsense and the PowerPoints that we make to justify all that, we tend to lose what we're trying to do. And that's, that's really my, my mission is to make sure everybody understands that at first 
no, we have a problem, right? And then start working on it, right? And get well, that's the it. hard part to even sometimes have the companies accept that they have a problem because they would neglect it for so long until the problem becomes a horrible, horrible mistake. And then you start having talents leaving or you start having a bad reputation. People don't want to work for you. So yeah, but you I, absolutely I, do I, need to detect those. I describe it as we've institutionalized not doing change well, not doing the right things. We've made it so that some of the best practices in change leadership, I, when I talk to my clients, it's like, oh, we, we don't do that. We, we can't do that. No, no, we don't have time for that. What do you mean? You well, don't have you don't time. Have time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So that's why I don't have any hair. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> the frustration of that. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> Oh my goodness. <laughs> okay, so let's <laughs> let's talk a little bit about uh, the new leadership norm that you actually practice, the 90-10-64 equation. Can you tell us a little bit more about it and how did this idea even came about? Because I found it very interesting when I did some research on it, but can you tell the audience a little bit more? Sure. Think about marketing and sales. Let's just pick two departments, right? My area. Uh, let's your do areas, it. Right. It's very typical that marketing and sales are like cats and dogs. They have a little natural competition. There's always a little tussle going on. There's competition between the it's two It's a love-hate relationship. It's a, exactly right. Exactly right. Love-hate relationships is a great way to describe it. You'll read books and there are even books with titles that say we should knock down the silos of those two departments. We should, you know, they're, they're in silos. We should knock down the silos, which indicates we should just mush that all together, right? And I, I don't think that's true. I don't think that's a valid approach. I think what's important is that we actually get better at crossing the boundaries between the two areas. And now let's multiply it for an actual company. We've got, we've got marketing, we've got sales, we've got operations, we've got manufacturing, et cetera. But crossing the boundaries well doing that properly is very important. So I developed the formula uh, 9010 to 6040 in working with my executive team clients. So I work with a CEO and their direct reports, which tends to be 10 to 12 people in a couple billion dollar company. And we work regularly, you know, on a recurring basis. And, and so one of the key underlying components that that made great leadership teams, I found, was the ability for them to cross those boundaries well. Mm -hmm. And so we do that in a room together, maybe six, seven times a year, where we take actual problems, real life situations that they're dealing with, and we work through how we're going to handle it. And what I found was the best solutions that we came up with as a group were the ones that crossed the boundaries properly from one area to another. And with an executive representing each of those silos, if you want to call them yeah. that, doing that was very important. So magic would happen when you had things like, I've got a special thing happening, special project happening. I don't have enough people. I need Romina, your best marketing person to come work on my team for a while. And you immediately say, oh, my best person? Sure. I'll give you my best person. Will you help me backfill 
in my area so that I can replace that best person? Sure, I'd be happy to. And the reason that Romina wants to give up her best person is because she's a good leader and wants to develop her best person. And one great way to do it would be to get some experience in the other silo. Like a right? close training method. Yeah, yeah. You see how that starts to happen. So magical kind of solution. So the formula 90-10 represents typical behavior. 90% of my time, my being, my thought process, everything I do during the day is focused on my department. Mm. And 10% of my being is focused on the overall company, 90-10. And some people tell me I'm being generous. It's more like 99-1, you know? But 90-10 is pretty typical. We could settle on that and agree on that. So 90% of my time I'm working on my department, what I care about sales, and you're working 90% of your time on marketing and 10% on the overall company. You know, I have to go to this stupid meeting with Jim. Uh, you know, that's that working on the overall, stuff like that, right? So what we want to do is, and again, an aspirational goal. It's not a tomorrow we flip the switch. Yeah. But we want to move from 90-10 to 60-40. To have that combo Yes. So 60% of your being now working on your department. I don't want to go lower than that because you have to focus on your department, right? No, your silo, correct. you have to make that hum. And then, but shift 40% of your time, you're being to the overall company. Now, here's interesting. I had one executive came to me six months after he heard this concept for the first time that day in that room in, you know, where we talked about it. And he said, I went back that afternoon, gathered my team together and said, I am not going to be as available to you going forward. And now I don't know exactly what I'm going to do. Jim hasn't told me that yet, <laughs> but I'm going to be less available to you. And I want you to start preparing for that. So I'm not going to be as involved in the projects. I'm not going to be talking to you every single day about every single thing you're working on. And, and he said, Jim, I was a little disappointed. And I just need to tell you that. And uh, I said, well, why? And he said, well, when I told them that, they all breathed a sigh of relief and said, oh, thank God. Now you finally leave us alone for a little <laughs> He said, I felt bad. But here's what happens, right? What he was saying to them is, I'm empowering you now. Yeah. Take over what we're doing. Take ownership of what we're doing. I'm going to be doing some other, maybe bigger things. Now, that was at an executive level. He's the general manager, executive vice president, whatever you want to call it, of that silo, that function within the company. So you think that's, you know, that makes sense. That's easy. He can, he can be up in the clouds while we're doing the work, right? But this works at the supervisory level as well. You know, it, it translates throughout the whole company. One of our clients, a very large service company, one division I was working with this way. So not the whole company, but one division. And that one division only doing this with the leadership team. In fact, you know, when I say doing this, I mean talking about issues in real life transactions in mm -hmm. this way, only with the leadership team. This wasn't something we cascaded down through the division, but they were the only division of five that had improving engagement scores compared to the rest of the entire company. And I didn't attribute it to this, but they attributed it to thinking in the 60-40 mindset. Because they were thinking that way, their people began to take ownership. We began to automatically start to think about the company overall and therefore crossing those boundaries we were talking about. 
And that's where the opportunities lie. That's where the value lies. And so by doing that, it actually got people engaged more in their work and took ownership of what they were doing and became more purposeful. And they actually began meeting their strategic objectives because they made sense to them inherently because they were thinking this way. So that's what the equation's about. It sounds all math and magical. No, it completely makes sense. It completely makes sense. 40 is transformational in, in your thinking and the way that you operate. So what I wrote down from what you were saying is number one, you add resources to the employees so they can make smarter decisions later on. So for example, marketing knows how sales work and sales knows how marketing work. Now we're going to learn how operation or production works. So this way we know exactly, you know, how everything is synchronized with one another. Let's be careful. Let, let me, inter if you don't mind me interrupting, let's be careful here. We're not talking about simply cross training. No, we're talking about the big idea to also understand which department yeah. does what and how it affects. Like but, here's, but here's how we do it. Intertwine of the yeah. business to run successful. Yeah, we don't do it in a training room. And this is an important concept for everybody to understand. So I want to be clear about it. We don't do it in a training room. We do it in a practical way, solving an actual problem. So I have a new market concept I'm going with. Mm -hmm. I need to involve marketing in doing that. How we actually then work together to do that is where that learning that you're talking about comes from, yeah. where marketing begins to understand how sales works and vice versa, because they're actually working on a thing that's real together. It's not a simulation. It's not a training class. It's not a learn how to do the job. It's we're working on this problem together. You bring your expertise, I'll bring my expertise. We'll team up and we'll make this work. All of a sudden, we now understand each other, right? Exactly. Yeah. So but that, that's would, a subtle point, but important. Yeah, go ahead. Well, so what I can kind of compare it to would be like a piloting thing. Let's say marketing launches this new campaign. And then they're going to have 10 people, let's say, out of a sales department work on this. And these 10 people are going to work with production so they can fully understand how increasement on this type of marketing will affect sales will increase production let's see our roi at the end of it so it's everything connected and then you can out of the pilot you can see the trial and errors what you can do and then you know not cross train but add those information to the rest of the field so they can make smarter decisions yeah now let's tie this back together when it's time for us to actually implement that then across the board a change project right what we were talking about earlier now we use all of that information in our communication about the change and now it becomes more meaningful now the 95 percent of the teams that didn't get to be part of that pilot get the advantage of being in part of that pilot as if they were and that makes their integration of those new ideas so much more rich and robust and therefore they adopt that new way of doing it more likely than if you just flip the switch and implement it, which many people tend to do and skip the change leadership part. But where does the change leadership part come from? The 60-40 equation, right? We, we yeah. can utilize it then and take advantage of it. So there are a lot of benefits in thinking this way. I love that term because as somebody that's been a part of pilots and have crossed, you know, work different departments and knows like the A connects with B connects with C to get to the D, you know, like everything connected. But what I feel like we're missing a lot of times is because companies don't explain to the employee the importance of their job and why they do what they do. Because let's just be honest there. I mean, well, there's two, two things that motivate people either financially 
or either their status. So they either want the job because it's really great money or they want it because they just want to feel much better about themselves, but they don't understand the big why the daily tasks that they do. So I feel like in order to get to the 90-10, like the 60-40 equation, companies also need to get really good at explaining the why behind each employee's job. So your nine to five, for example, or your small project, it's going to affect the company this way, big picture. And sometimes I feel like companies miss out on that. I don't know if it's because they neglect it or if that's because even sometimes executive leaders don't know how to explain it. But I feel like that's something that a lot of companies do miss out on. Put your blinders on, get focused. You're in charge of this. This is what you care about. Meet these numbers, do this. I have actually asked managers, well, what happens to my work product when it goes to the next guy? I don't know. It doesn't really matter. I, I, we're focused on this right now. Just do this. That mindset. That makes my most, body itch a little. I'm like, no, I want to <laughs> know. It's the most dangerous. You, you know, you don't even want to know that. You're not curious. Just curiosity would tell you that you would want to know that, right? But look at the value of knowing that because now you can tell your, your folks the reason that I'm, I'm asking you to do this this way is so that it shows up correctly for the next step in the process. And then they can be as effective as possible. Yeah. Because remember, we're doing this for the whole big picture reason. And we, when we start to lose that, and it's not a speech, it's not a, and I'm a speaker, so I, I like speeches, but it's not a speech. It's not a PowerPoint. It's a, it's this bigger understanding, right? It's practical. It's every day. Here's why I put it in the box standing up instead of laying down because Ramina is going to get it next. And when it's laying down, she can't do her work well. So I want to make sure it's standing up because I like her. She's nice, right? That, that is, that's the dirt level, you know, strategic thinking that we need to have. And we tend to miss that. We tend to be this big picture thing. And then we say, Romina, you're the manager of X, put your blinders on, just worry about this. Make all your people make these things stand up instead of lay down. That's what you have to do. Why? It doesn't matter. Just do that. That's what's wrong. And we need to fix that. So it happens at every level. So one thing that before we jump to the book, because I definitely want to talk about the book. Uh, I mean, we're going to talk about awareness, curiosity, focus, and initiative. Amazing four topics. But before we do jump that, Coming from the sales world, one thing that, and you can disagree with me on this, I'm more than welcome it. One thing that I don't like is sales department has like 20 different metrics to see, for example, like the agent's productivity, when they can easily break it down to three matrix or three or four matrix and be able to actually push them so they don't be like, my conversion is here, my cross pitch sale is here, my this is here, my this is here. Instead, focus on two, three to four tops have straight vision straight focus and this way you also allow time on those one-on-ones for example especially if you're working in a busy corporate on those one-on-ones to talk about the big picture stuff to talk about how this one sale of yours helped a customer this way for example or had a operation or production help this way but unfortunately the sales department this is how they typically run like they have like 15 20 metrics and if you don't meet one you're going to get written up and it's like yay good job now the employee itself doesn't feel as empowered does that make sense it does let's talk about this this writing up thing yeah uh, <laughs> the right you're going to get written up i'm going to write you up if you do this again you get written up uh, you know gee whiz stop this right Here, here's why i'm so frustrated with that why do we have the make metrics and, and if we answer that question, it's very important. So to me, I think the reason for having the metrics 
is to identify an area where you as as the employee may need some skill development yeah so if we have a metrics about follow-up calls or mm -hmm. time on a call let's say in customer service right if we have a metric about that the intention is not to get you in trouble and write you up if you don't meet the metric the goal is to say if you're not meeting the metric let's understand why that is are you doing something that could be improved or did you come up with a better way that eliminates the need for that metrics in the first place which often happens by the way and yeah. we ignore it because we have the metric we write that person up for we always done it like this <laughs> we cannot change it yeah my best my best example comes from an old old book about communication it was the rule in the bank for the bank teller was that the bank teller had to use the customer's name when they talked to them so you come in to do your deposit and i would say oh god don't oh, hate me yeah ms ramina you know blah 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 right <laughs> and 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 we, i would use your name so it's it's more friendly it's more customer service you know we learned that in some seminar somewhere right so they observed one woman who was a bank teller and she was one of their best most experienced tellers and she always broke the rule you know she didn't always use the person's name and so they they did the study of her with the clipboard and watched her work and all of that to see why she was so bad at this and then they finally asked her and she said well i know my customers very well and i know that if it's near lunchtime and there's a big crowd that i want to move them through the line as fast as possible and so for some of my customers if i use their name they will then stop and talk and chat with me more and it will take longer for the transaction if it's three o'clock in the afternoon i use their name if it's noon i don't I'm strategic about how I do that because I care about the bigger picture, which yep. is good customer service, not having people stand in line. They were about the metrics, use the customer's name every time, no matter what. Instead, she was she thinking it. about the big picture and doing the right thing. And they would have written her up for that, whatever yeah. that means. They would have done that to her, treating her as if she did something wrong when she's the best employee you could ever want to have yeah. because she's thinking about the strategy of the organization, right? The so picture. we have to be, we have to ask the why question more often, you know, multiple times because we're, we're often doing these things for the wrong reason. And I understand we're, we're moving fast and we want a shortcut lingo, right? We want the language. We can just shortcut. Did you do, did you hit your customer service number uh, matrix 13? yes or no yes quick no write you up you know it, it's again what we said earlier the biggest downfall is this expediency this wanting to move fast this illusion of speed yeah. uh, is, is, well, is the problem when it also comes to write-up something that i did for a corporate that i worked whenever it came to the write-up because they would love to just write up any agents for sales and again i come from a sales world i am motivated by the money and i'm motivated by my status so mine is kind of a line but I noticed that the higher management would write up pretty much every agent whenever they would miss it. So I went to the VP of sales and I was like, I don't think it's fair for agents to be written up. I think we agents should have the right to also write up the managers and executive leaders <laughs> when they don't do their thing. That was not welcome very much. <laughs> I will yeah. tell you that it was not a very welcome conversation, but what ended up happening because of the conversation sparked a lot of changes towards allowing you know, the agents to have that 90 day trial for improvements uh, in order before they get written up. So if that one uncomfortable conversation allows other agents, I feel like also 
any agents out there, executive leaders, if you feel like something is not working good with your, you know, the type of management, how it's written, raise your voice, please. Give well, it, say something. Yeah. What that did, that your example did, was it forced leaders to do what leaders should be doing automatically. So leaders should automatically, the why of the yeah. metric was to teach people to be better at their job. Absolutely. So now we, instead of writing you up, which is just a silly concept, but the writing up issue is, no, that's an indicator that we need to do some engagement and some learning and some teaching and, and listening. That's what a leader should be doing anyway. Especially you if you see a trend within the team and yeah. everybody's like lacking into that. Especially if you see a trend, that's not automatically like we need uh, to help so they weren't doing what they were doing because they were so busy writing up things <laughs> instead of leading, right? Yeah. And so that, that's, you know, that's the shift. So it gets down to just asking simple, I call them stupid questions. I have a stupid question. There is no stupid question. Well, there are actually stupid okay. questions, but I'm kind of joking with quotes around it. I have a stupid question, which yeah. is a question that gets to the heart of the matter. And that's what you were doing. You were asking a question that got to the heart of the matter, right? And, and I love when you say happen. that. I have a stupid question. So it's kind of like, okay, like I'm turning into funny, but pay attention because I'm about to ask something very exactly. serious too. Exactly. So it's the perfect way to start that. <laughs> I'm, I have a stupid question. I've been looking and doing some research. Yeah, it's not stupid. Stupid right, 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 <laughs> right. for thought. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the book. Number one, I uh, Personal Brilliance is an amazing book, you guys. I want to highlight Brian Tracy wrote this, okay? You're a potential genius, and this book shows you how to unlock your creativity in ways that you never thought possible. Solve my problem, overcome my obstacles, achieve my goals. So again, that was Brian Tracy giving the recommendation regarding personal brilliance. Number one, you shared a story with me about Brian Tracy. Please share that with the audience. I will shut up now. Please do that. That's a, that's a funny story. I am a professional speaker and my industry association is called the National Speakers Association. And uh, we have a convention. You could imagine the poor hotel staff, when we show up for a convention, they, they have to put earplugs in because you got everybody talking all the time. Speakers. <laughs> the speakers right? So my local chapter asked me to write an article about the stress and how overwhelming going to this convention was going to be when I went to my first one, right? And so th this was kind of a small convention. It was a couple thousand people, but I, I thought it was kind of a small convention because I yeah. was used to these big technical conventions and so on. So I didn't think it was going to be a big deal. And, and, it, and it really wasn't. It was very exciting and invigorating and so on. But one of the first breaks in the convention, you know, after a keynote speech, I went to the men's room. You know, we have, they're the typical in a hotel men's room. The urinals are up against the wall. And I chose the open urinal. And to my left was Zig Ziglar. And to my right was Brian Tracy. And so these are two people who I'd read and listened to and heard their programs. For a second, you're probably like, thank God I drank two liters of water, so I have to <laughs> pee in this exact moment. And they were right there next to me. And they're, oh, what do you do? The etiquette, you can't shake hands, you can't <laughs> give a hug. You can't. <laughs> so that's how I met the, those two gentlemen. And obviously we ended up being, you know, being acquaintances and they shared with me and provided a mentorship kind of a role. But I asked Brian to write that blurb for the book cover and it was a little publishing secret. 
many times the author or a marketing person writes the blurb and the person just says, yeah, that's fine. And, but Brian actually wrote it. I, I have the handwritten, he, he did it with handwriting uh, of that. And the publisher didn't believe me. I had to actually send them a copy of the handwriting that, uh, that he wrote that blurb. So yeah, that, that was very nice of him to do. And I have a lot of good friends who believe in the core message of personal yeah. brilliance. And I wrote it because I, I was looking at what are the things that high performing people do and I didn't write a, want to write a book about innovation in a corporate sense, you know, the idea systems and that kind of thing it was really overdone already, I, I, I thought. But I thought, what happens? Where does it come from? Yeah. And I started looking at the individual and hence the title, Personal Brilliance. It's about individuals coming together. I don't know, I'm a business person, right? So it's a business book, but it's, it's really in the self-improvement well, lot. Section, yeah, it's right? a lot in yeah. the self-improvement because you highlight awareness, curiosity, focus, and initiative. Those are the so, four catalysts to personal brain. Too. Absolutely. And like awareness itself, especially we live in the digital age, you know, like how do you even stay aware of the actually what's going on? So, you know, the noise that you have around you or what he said or she said doesn't necessarily affect your opinion, but you're fully aware of what's going on. Like, especially for this year, that's super important. Mm -hmm. what, what would you say that would be like, if you can start becoming more aware of your surrounding or your situation or even your like feelings, what would be some things that you can start to process through it? By the way, it, although I, I, I don't necessarily have them in the book, what I've developed are there's a persona for each of the four catalysts and the, the persona for awareness is the prospector. So think about digging through the rocks and rubble find, for looking for that gem. That's really what the prospector does. And that's what awareness is about. So self-awareness first, mm -hmm. really understand ourselves and we have to work on that almost every day. And then awareness of the environment and what's happening around us. And so it becomes, by the way, these four catalysts, I think we're born with them. Mm -hmm. But the stand in line, don't you gum, raise your hand before you talk kind of rules that we grow up with put some tarnish on these natural abilities. So personal brains is about shining that, the, those abilities up, yeah. those catalysts up, taking that tarnish off. So from an awareness standpoint, it's being present and seeing the environment and then starting to you know, allow those, those observations to come together. And then the other catalysts start to kick in and work together seamlessly with awareness, but really being aware of what's happening. And if you're in the United States, I don't think it's cool to be ignorant about things like not understanding football. It's not a, okay, right? It's not a cool thing. Not understanding uh, current music that's out there or, or you don't have to like it. But you have to be aware of it. No, the ABCs um, and stay in touch with it. Yeah, I, not I don't necessarily be the expert on that area. But. Yeah, I don't have to be a user of TikTok and create TikTok videos to know that it exists, right? And but you know, it's, it's a, addicting. It's a thing, and yeah, and that people are, you know, are using it and 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 in conversation. That's how you you stay relevant mm -hmm. uh, all the time. It's that awareness of what's happening. Now, do you internalize that? Do I, do I become frantic and say, oh, now I have to learn TikTok and I have to use it? No, calm down a little bit, but just being aware of it and yeah. using that as the guide and understanding. And my wife always jokes with me because I'll tell her something and she said, how do you know that? And, and I said, I don't know. I just know things, right? <laughs> I just learn know things. I don't things. even know where I found that out, but it's awareness working, right? It's just 
seeing things, seeing maybe the schematics of them, the, how they things fit together. Um, so that gets along with curiosity because you got to stay curious and have to have that student mentality of that open mm. mentality to learn new stuff or to stay aware of what the heck is going on in the world right. or in your city. Yeah, the, the persona for curiosity is the detective. You know, they're always asking that question and one question leads to question answer leads to the next question and always digging that way. And remember that manager we were talking about when you ask them, how does it work in the next station over? I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I don't know. I'm just worried about putting that box the way it needs to be, right? Um, now, how could you not be curious? To, you know, and again, as a little kid, a, a three-year-old, why, 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 right? Come on, why, mom, why, why, yes, why? Yes, yes. How do we lose that, right? Let's get that back. Yeah. Asking those questions, always being curious, digging into an area that you're not familiar with, being interested and engaged in things and asking questions. That makes us more interesting as people too, right? Yeah. You know, if I'm asking you about you, you're interested in talking about you and we have a good conversation as a result and vice versa. Now you start asking, right? That's what a podcast is. <laughs> so curiosity to me is key and boy, life is boring without it. I mean, we're also talking about curiosity guys, not being a creep. That's two different things. Let's just mm -hmm. make sure we, we separate those two mm -hmm. because sometimes I understand and that's where, you know, personal development or books such as personal brilliance will come handy. So you can maybe see that guideline between like how to stay curious, the type of questions that you can ask to, to show curiosity, not in a stuckerish, creepy way. Uh, that's also very important. So I just want to kind of highlight that part. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, from a curiosity standpoint, there's a, there's a sense of wonder but there's, mm. you know, obviously, and, but there's also a sense of doubt. Why does that work that way? I don't think that's the right way. Let so me you're not necessarily ask. questioning, but you're just like, but why? Like, I just want to know the logic behind yes. it. Yes. So having a strong sense of doubt is, is a good thing too. <laughs> and so it's not all fairy tale. It, so, so that's, that's you that's, not taking all the information as it is, but you actually wanting to know the behinds of it. Right. Critical thinking for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And then let's talk a little bit about focus. I think more than ever, we kind of need focus nowadays. What can we do towards like maybe exercises that we can start staying focused or maybe if we lose focus, like a recalibration of our mind that we need to do, like what would you suggest for somebody to get back to maybe not a hundred percent focus, but if they drop to like 40, maybe get to like 60 or 70. Yeah. We'll dance around your question a little bit, as always. We can't help ourselves, right? Uh, but define focus. I, I think oftentimes we think of focus as turn the phone off, close the door, don't bother me, I'm focusing now. Leave me alone. Quiet. Focus. Yes, we need that. But we, we also need to think about focus in a bigger picture type way. So I, I like to think about focus not as a laser beam. Not okay close the door, be quiet, I'm gonna focus now, but more like a spotlight. So the beam is concentrated, but it widens out a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. So think about focus, and this is a bit of giving yourself permission for the thing that you might be labeled as scattered or multitasking or, right? Let's give yourself a little permission because what, what, what happens with what I call 360 degree focus is that I can 
pick the disparate things that are out there, facts coming at me, to be able to pull them together into a cohesive solution. And so the persona for focus is the chief executive. You know, they might be in a meeting at nine o'clock and in another meeting at two o'clock in the afternoon and negate what they said at nine o'clock because you know, it says back to back to back to back. How do they do it? Well, they take all these disparate pieces of information that are flying at us, at them, like yeah. happens to all of us with our phones, et cetera. And they're able to pick and choose those pieces of information and pull them together in a way that's important. So if I'm laser beam focused, I, I miss all that. And I don't want to miss all that. That's important. So let's give ourselves permission a little bit to not be laser beam focused. But we have to think about it like a camera lens where we could telephoto in and then wide angle out. And so okay. the answer to your question finally is we could practice that. So for a period of time, seconds, minute, zero in with a telephoto lens on the microphone that you have pinned to your sweater from a visual standpoint right now, because we're in a video place as well. You folks that are only on audio, we're doing this video as well. But I can focus on that for a period of time while you're talking right? But now I'm going to wide angle out and mm -hmm. I'm going to see the things that are hanging on your office wall while you're talking as well. We train our brain that way, right? And so that in and out is what we need to successfully maneuver through life, training ourselves on that, like we would train ourselves to do, you know, five more push-ups or mm -hmm. run an extra little distance uh, in our running goals. It's the same kind of thing. It's a muscle that we want to exercise from yeah. a focus standpoint. So know that you're zeroed in and working in a close the door, don't bother me, I'm focused and do that for a period of time. And let's see how long can we go doing that? But also realize that you're just as focused when you're not, when you're the opposite of that and you're more open in a 360 degree way. And that's how you need to go through your life. Or you're going to be so focused, you're going to be running into walls and we don't want that. So there's a delicate balance we're looking for. The key is to be able to control that lens, to be able to determine when you need to move it in or move it back out and be able to do that on command. Yeah. That's what we're training for. Not that we're trying to be less scattered. It's how we corral that fire hose that we're dealing with in life every day and how we manage that. That's so, the important piece. So I wanted to kind of break it down. So we stay focused on like, let's say, stay with that exercise, focus on my mic, and then you zoom out to see what else is around it. So now we're talking about curiosity, be curious what's around it. We and talk about these things one at a time, but they do work together. See and awareness. So you're aware, like, hey, Romina has books there. She probably reads. Maybe I should talk to her about reading. Be curious. What's the last book that you read? And that's how you get to that next and next and next. So you can focus on one thing, but zoom out a little bit. I mean, right. that, that example that you brought up, it's perfect because those, like we mentioned earlier, these four things are intertwined with one another. And this example is more than, you know, mm -hmm. more mm -hmm. than out there. Yeah, my, my background, you see a grizzly bear and you see Mount Denali in a picture. You might ask me a question about that and we're going to get to know each other better. And you'll also know maybe where I'm coming from on a particular point by digging into that. If you miss that. I actually been looking you know? at the stamp behind you and I'm really curious. It's been a minute I've been looking at the stamp. The stamp. 
on your left, since we're talking about surrounding, it's like a rubber stamp behind you or like a paper stamp. Oh, that? Yeah. That's, <laughs> hold on. I noticed that earlier and I, I was just curious. See my it, curiosity. It's an innovation award. Oh, <laughs> the light bulb. Oh, okay. Well, it looked like a little like one of the old fashioned yeah. stamps from. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Let, yeah. Let's see what it is. It's a light bulb. Nice. This was, an, this was an award I gave out to a board of directors that I had when I was president of an association for their great ideas. So, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Well, like we said, I said on the bio, he is an award winner, you guys. Like, I wasn't <laughs> lying. There you go. <laughs> I love it. Okay. And then, but that's 360 degree focus. You got it. Yeah. And then in, initiate for a moment. It's okay, you listeners. Just bear with me. Initiative. There you go. Initiative. Initiative. That's Perfect. what I said. Yes. Yes. Well, <laughs> it, we have awareness, curiosity, and focus. We pretty much have a good idea mm-hmm. as a result. Now, so what becomes the question. And initiative is necessary to actually put that idea into action and make things happen. So the persona for initiative is the action hero. <laughs> it's somebody who actually gets things done. And you need initiative as well, just to work the process, right? To develop these, these catalysts and to, to get that tarnish off of, of yeah. them, right? Um, so you need initiative for that, but you also need to get things done. Here's the key from a business standpoint. We need all four of these catalysts to work together seamlessly. Now, one catalyst might be stronger for me and one might be stronger for you. So if we now work together and Yes, you're asking questions that- Going back to the 60-40. Yeah, you ask questions that enhance curiosity. And I'm gonna be saying, when do we start? What's the first step? I'm the action hero, right? And we start working together and we have a focused person and an awareness person. I do a training program where I I do videos and then it's a self-coaching process where they work in teams Mm -hmm. across a corporate departments, right? And they're teams of of four, one representing each of the four catalysts. And we do an exercise where- you have to go at a problem, solve a problem from only one of the catalysts, your awareness, and you have to do awareness. And it's very frustrating because it's hard to do. And, it, and then we flip it and say, okay, you can be whatever one you want to yeah. solve the problem. And it start, you start to see the seamless nature of how these things are intertwined. It's the core of our, of our life. And being an interesting, innovative, I'll call it brilliant person, comes from those catalysts working together. So bringing those together into your life, into your being and what you do brings that uh, level of success that you're looking for. So I wrote the book so I can say this, Romina, you're brilliant, right? (laughs) uh, There you go. And we all have this. So it's all, it's it's something that we could be working on constantly. And that's why the book lasts a long time, has been out for a while and uh, people still use it every day. And uh, we talk about it a lot. So it's forward to our life. And for you guys, I'll attach the information where you can, you can find the, the book. It is on Amazon and bookstores. Um, if you're feeling lazy and not typing it up on the show notes, because I know some of my audience are lazy listeners. They just want to tap things away. But also, don't forget, you guys, now we're doing video on top of audio. So wherever you get your podcast, choose from. Go ahead and give us a th- five-star and a short review if you're from Apple. If you're video, Jim just showed us the book and you can also go on YouTube and our website to see our pretty faces too during this interview because we got really pretty for this one. I'm just going to well, say one of One of us at least. So. Hey, you know what? Both <laughs> of us. 
my guy. <laughs> I'm doing the hand, you guys. Yes, Jim is Italian and I'm Albanian, so it's perfect neighbors. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh my goodness. I feel like we covered some really, really great things on this episode. Honestly, the 90-10-60-40 equation, we did talk about the personal brilliance, awareness, curiosity, focus, and initiative. And we talked about how to help and empower employees towards knowing the big picture and knowing what's going on behind corporate instead of having that, you know, like skip, like forget left, forget left, see straight. Like, no, you need to see like that 360 vision. I think we covered a lot more than what I initiated in this interview, but I love it because I feel like every second it's information. And I would advise you listeners to maybe listen to this and also get a hold of Jim, which I'll attach the information. But Jim, I'm sure you have all of this happening, but I'm sure you're probably not just sitting there not doing nothing yet. What's a new and exciting project that you're working on that you would like to share with us? Well, Ramina, a ways back, I wrote a book, a large book, 10 Pounder, called Change Project Management, The Next Step. And it's the methodology for leading change that I share with my clients. But one thing I wasn't able to do at that time when I wrote that was to uh, provide tools, automation to do that. So one of the things that we've done is created a new company called Constituent Hub. Uh-huh. And we developed software that automates that process of leading change properly. So it's a big enterprise tool um, for large companies to use. But it, it, it works that process in a relational database kind of a way so that we're tailoring messages, we're working through the change uh, methodology. And so it's, it, it's a change in and of itself for an organization to shift how they actually do this so that they're more likely to do those right things that we talked about. Uh, and so Constituent Hub is uh, software as a service. Um, and the reason that it's available is because technology has allowed us to do it. We don't have to have big buildings and boxes of software. The old days, so little old me. computer with the size of a room, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Little old me can create a solution like that. And so uh, that's what Constituent Hub's about. And um, we hope to uh, change the way we lead change with Constituent Hub. So that's what we're up to. So What's... software development, even though I'm not a techie, you know, that's what we're doing right now. What's the website for it if somebody wants to try a demo or it is, more? It, sure, it's simply constituenthub.com, constituent hub. Constituent replaces that word we tend to use called stakeholder. Yeah. I like constituent better because it implies that we owe them something, we're taking care of them, and we care for them. And so we call them constituents. And so constituent hub is where we do that work of leading change. So the website's um, got a lot of, lot of resource there. You could learn a lot more about that and see what we're about and what we're doing there. Perfect. And I'll attach that information for you guys as well. Now, I know we're getting to the end of the episode. I, l- I would love if we can talk more about this because I feel like we can talk all day. And maybe we should just have you back on the show. That would be amazing. I'd be happy to come back. I, I've Absolutely. Maybe before. we can talk a little bit more about the Constituent Hub and get more into like the nitty-gritty and the details and how the software as a service could actually help businesses towards leading through change. So we can absolutely do that, you guys. But my last question here. I'm really intrigued to know this one too. I know you work with Fortune 500 companies and I know you've been an executive advisor, author, a speaker for years, but I'm sure you're also have your personal life. So would it be for you like the definition of success personally and like professionally? Hmm. Success definition is an interesting topic and one that I spent some time thinking about because I've had to ask and help people with this question. Here's my definition, and and I find it's a bit unique, at least the way I word it. I believe that success is measured by the number of choices 
that you have available to you. So if we break that down a little bit, if I do something today that allows me to have more choices tomorrow, mm -hmm. that's successful. So if I can choose where I live, if I can choose what work I do, if you want to get materialistic, if I can choose what car I want to, to drive, that's success. Now, if you, you are just as successful as I am, if you drive a subcompact, tiny, little, cheap car, as I am if I drive some Rolls Royce or something, right? You can be just as successful as I am. Your success is based on the fact that you had the choice of what car you were going to drive and you chose that one. So it's not a compare the neighbors to each other kind of a measurement. I like it's that. A, it's a measure of what choices you have available to you. And if you choose to stay home with your dog uh, and you have the ability to do that and you have that choice, that's success. If you choose to run a multinational company, that's your choice and therefore you're successful. So it makes it very individualistic and allows us to take that pressure away but also allows us to be motivated to move forward and keep creating the scenarios where we have more choice. So choice to me is the definition of success. So what I get from it is the number of choices, you increase your own number of choices that you can have, forget your neighbor, forget this, forget that. It's just individualistic, but also looking to increase that and looking to improve. Because sure. a lot of times we try to compare each other, like ourselves with other people and feel not as successful or like a quote says, your page one is, you know, it's somebody else's page, uh, chapter 20. So it just never compared the level, but number of choices. I like that. And I haven't got that one before. Yeah. And, you know, and if you, if you choose to have a career and ignore your family, yeah, are you more successful than somebody who chooses to figure out a way to do both and maybe doesn't have the same level of job, maybe person B is more successful than person A. How we look more at choices. it from the outside, right? It, it's, it's about the choices we make and then the yeah. choices available to us going forward as a result of those actions that we take. So it's a growth uh, mindset. It's one where we learn constantly and get better. But it's not, you know, it's not comparing the Joneses uh, and, and, you know, how big your house is. There you go. Time. Sales brain, Jones effect. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right away, clicked in my head. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. Jim, where can our audience connect with you? I'm on LinkedIn website, can you please tell us a little bit more? Where yeah, I, I have two websites. Basically, we already mentioned constituenthub.com, which is all about the system. Mm -hmm. But also just my name, jimcantarucci.com. It's where I talk about the 90-10-60-40 concept. A lot of my writing is there. And also, as a leader, your audience can join me on Saturday mornings. I write every Saturday morning an email for leaders based on me talking to other leaders and sharing the lesson and, and bringing that together. And we talk a lot about the 60-40 concept and how you can implement it there. And I, I picked Saturday morning because we often are taking care of everybody all week long. And then we come into work on Saturday morning to get our stuff done. I like to kick you off at six in the morning with, with a message about that. So uh, you can get that at jimcantarucci.com and sign up. It's, it's obviously free and a lot of back and forth and conversation happens there. 
I love it. And then I have to mention something from uh, Jim's website, you guys, on his blog. So it typically has also like the article, the one thing for you to do for the week. So if you think you're just going to read the article and just take the information and just continue about your day, no, like it leaves you with a little homework too, which is really good. So this way you can kind of hold yourself accountable to be like, okay, I read this, but also now I have to take action on it. So that way it gets completed as a lesson one way or that, another. That initiative part, right? We need that catalyst too. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> awesome. Well, Jim, I am so so happy you were able to be on RM Podcast FL. And for you, my lovely listeners, go ahead and look at the show notes for all the links and details. Go ahead and contact Jim. Tell him Romina sent you and you listen to this awesome interview with Jim on RM Podcast FL. Jim, thank you so, so much for taking your time today and being a part I'm, of the show. I'm very grateful that, uh, that we were on the air together. I, I really appreciate it. You're doing great work, Romina. Please keep it up. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to having you again on the show talking about the Constituent Hub. Love to be back. Thanks. Awesome. Thank you, you guys. Make sure to tune in every Tuesday for awesome episodes just like this one. Bye, listeners.